And there, actually, that was when um, the uh, your LA Select actually first came out. We were, we were sitting was it the actual bow ties event. Mm-hmm. Ta- oh yeah, okay, yeah. So that was the first time we met was over there. But okay, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't. We've met a few times, though, haven't we? Is that it? Yeah, I, I actually took you home when you were passed out drunk at my cousin's <laughs> wedding, and uh, that's why it's foggy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell your cousin how much fun I had. Thanks. <laughs> Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Ken here today, and I've got my co-host, Lyndon Ferguson. Uh, Lyndon has been taking the rounds with me through Lawrenceburg for the past uh, day now, and we are at another podcast recording on-site at Four Roses. So, uh, Lyndon, by far, what, what have you thought so far as of uh, not only being a co-host so far, but uh, my driving abilities? Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Is, is that is that the best best terminology for it? Yeah, you're pretty good at driving a stick shift. I'll, I'll give you credit there. <laughs> uh, I'm a pretty good navigator, you know, going the back roads of you know Woodford County and, and uh, Anderson County. So we we've made it here one piece, thank goodness. 
All good. So, um, you know, we're going to go ahead and just go ahead and jump in it right now. And because we're very happy to bring on our guest today, you know, we were fortunate enough to have, we're actually here at Four Roses, probably, oh gosh, what was it? Either a year and a half or more ago. And we had on the former master distiller, but we're actually very, very, very happy to bring on the new master distiller here at Four Roses, Brent Elliott. So Brent Elliott is the current master distiller at Four Roses. So Brent, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks guys. So Brent, before we actually get really get started into it and talking about just Four Roses in general, I kind of want to get a gauge and Kind of give everybody a, a taste of where'd you, where'd you come from? Kind of talk about your, your upbringing, you know, your education, you know, everybody can read that you grew up in Owensboro. So kind of, kind of talk about that a little bit. Okay. Well, um, yeah, the Western side of the state, about three hours from here, Owensboro, Kentucky. I went to Davis County High School. I really had no idea what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. Of course, in high school, I knew it was, you know, college sounded fun. Seemed like a good idea. I got there. It took me a while to decide what I wanted to do, but I realized I'd always liked chemistry. I'd always liked science, numbers, that sort of thing. But I've, I've always liked literature and history, too. But I think initially it was what led me to science. It's kind of embarrassing to say, but it was the multiple choice tests. There weren't a lot of essays. There weren't a lot of uh, a lot of papers due. And the joke was on me because the last maybe four semesters was nothing but lab write-ups and papers. But no, but in all seriousness, I liked chemistry, still do, like science. So I kind of gravitated towards that. Got into the, a lot of the biology, chemistry. I finally settled on a chemistry degree. And, um, you know, of course, at the time, I had no idea that I would end up in this industry. You know, I always knew about this industry, but it was one of those things, especially being in the western part of the state. You know, there we have some distilling going on there now. But, you know, when I was younger, I didn't even know about, you know, the one distillery in Owensboro. And the I knew of the medleys and I knew that there was some whiskey coming out of that part of the state, but, you know, it was kind of mythical. You know, it it seemed like it was more of a central Kentucky kind of thing. And being aware of it is one thing, believing that I could be part of it was another. So it never really occurred to me. So I was just basically in it for the science. Um, went to the University of Kentucky. Well, sure. let's rewind a little bit, right? Yeah. Because because you took you took that chemistry degree, and and what you what you do with it? Like, what were some of your first jobs out of college, and what were some of the first jobs that you kind of took? And you said, like, well, I guess I'm going to get my feet with. I got to do something, that's, right? That's a good question because uh, they weren't really that exciting. But I think it all it never always is, right? led I mean, me here. Yeah, we we no. we all. I think it's um. What, what was I reading the other day? They said it's the millennial problem that says either they're. They're too overeducated for the job or they don't have enough experience for the job. It's it's one or yeah. the other. Well, my first job out of college took me a while to get a job in the first place. And I was and I wasn't even being particular. I was pretty much applying to every place. And it was this is the days that I guess the internet was alive, but it wasn't the way it is now. I was still going every Sunday picking up the papers from adjacent cities, you know, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Nashville, Louisville. And I was living in Lexington still. I finally found a, a position, a job. This was, geez, almost eight, nine months after graduation up in just south of Dayton, Ohio. And it was a position with a uh, an adhesive company. And really what they make there, and as far as I know still do, is the adhesive that holds the PVC onto your credit card. So it's kind of a, <laughs> yeah. It exists. And that was that was me doing that for a while. That's so exciting. It, I mean, <laughs> if, if there's if there's something that like makes you want to get up in the morning to go and go into work, it's the adhesive on the back of my credit card. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to pick on it. It was a great job, great people to work with, but it wasn't exactly bourbon either. 
So uh, I did that job, worked that job for about a year and a half, and then uh, really just left because I knew it wasn't what, what I wanted to do and uh, it wasn't where I wanted to be. So I had some friends that were kind of in similar situations, um, different areas around the country, and we all decided to pick a city and just move there. Now, a couple of these guys had a little a little uh, better idea than I did, and they we ended up in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, you, mean, you mean they had jobs before they moved? They, there. Yeah, they kind of. That's how we <laughs> kind of ended up there. They had some opportunity there. I didn't. I put my feelers out. Nothing happened. But I was like, "That's it. I I committed to this." It sounds like I was young. You know why not? I knew that I wasn't be making glue for the rest of my life. So um, just uh, rented a U-Haul, put in my two weeks' notice, and you know packed up with my experience. So then I had a little bit of experience, a little bit of confidence. Uh, moved down to to Tennessee. Uh, within a few weeks, I got a job working in environmental chemistry, which, again, it's interesting. That's where I got a lot of the analytical experience that I brought to this position that actually got me, got my foot in the door here, working with some of the same analytical equipment. Uh, but again, it still wasn't bourbon. It wasn't that exciting. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I actually ended up in the uh, smokeless tobacco industry, and I was doing analytical work there. Again, it was sort of the same same type of work, just experience, but it still wasn't my dream job. So I did that for going on, it's a little over five years, I guess. Um, in that time period, right toward the, in there, like I was in there about four and a half years, I, within a short period of time, I got married, I bought a house, pretty much thought I was there to stay. But at that time, I took a trip up to Kentucky with uh, to visit my my wife's sister was doing a, a governor's scholar program at Eastern Kentucky at, in Richmond. So we went up, we took a tour of Woodford Reserve while we were up here with our family. And that's when it all kind of came together. It still didn't seem reasonable that it could ever happen to me, but I thought, you know, this, this all kind of clicks. I could actually take what I know from a scientific perspective and somehow utilize it in this industry, whether jobs were available or whether they really had they probably said something about the chemist on staff or something that made the light bulb go off. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool? There's always somebody in, in lab coats in the back room, right? Yeah, maybe I, I glimpsed somebody yeah, walking around a corner with some cool lab goggles on or something that I could relate to. And um, so really, it was that very same weekend we got home on a, a Sunday evening and I got online and found this position. Now, at the time, I didn't know really what Four Roses was. I had actually... I take that back. A few years prior to that, I had been driving in Bardstown or outside of Bardstown, and I ran across the warehouses. I saw the sign, all the warehouses. But having grown up in Kentucky, going to college at UK, having my fair share of bourbon in my past, you know, I hadn't seen Four Roses. I hadn't heard of Four Roses. It was Seagram's at the time, right? Yeah, so, it was Seagram's. Yeah. It was, um, especially then, that was probably, that could have actually been, it might have been sold by then, but it still wasn't available in Kentucky. Right. And certainly not Tennessee. So I just assumed it was some terrible bourbon. I thought, you know, how could this be? All these warehouses full of bourbon of a brand I've never even heard of. <clears throat> now, for good reason, you couldn't really get it as a bourbon here at that time. And I hadn't been overseas where you could find just about anywhere. So um, so fast forward back to when I am I see this this uh, ad, or I think it was monster.com, this, this ad or the posting for this job. So I talked to the recruiter a few times, uh, found out some information she um, informed me it was in Lawrenceburg, so I did my research and came across wild turkeys. So I was going under the assumption that what I was applying for was a wild turkey position. <laughs> um, a few conversations later, she I teased it out of her that uh, it was a place called Four Roses. 
And I thought back, it's like, I think that's that place I saw in the middle of nowhere, all these warehouses. It's funny how it is. You know, then it was the middle of nowhere. And now it's like my yeah, second it's, home. It's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's an epic or a mecca of a bourbon. Yeah, right? Right, right. It's <laughs> love the place now. Then it was just that weird, obscure place in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of warehouses with a strange name on them. But um, so one thing led to another, ended up coming up and interviewing. But I'd never even tried Four Roses at the time. Like I said, I was happy. I'd just gotten married, just bought a house, had a good job. Um, so on my way up, I stopped. At the time, you can only get Four Roses in Kentucky. I stopped in Bowling Green at Chuck's Liquors. I, well, I talked to people at Four Roses and asked where I could get some around Nashville. And they said they'd led me to Chuck's. That's a, that's a probably a good idea before you come into interview. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I wanted to be sure exactly if it was going to be, if I tasted it and it was not that great. Yeah, yeah. this would have been a terrible idea. But actually, that's kind of what what led me here. I got that bottle, ended up, it was my wife and I, we stayed in Frankfurt the night before the interview, and I sampled some that evening and immediately fell in love with it. So really, when I came to the interview, I was sold. Well, I still wanted to see what the brand was about and what their vision was, because I knew that it wasn't the United States. I'd had a phone interview, so I kind of knew what the plan was. But I wanted to meet the people. I really wanted to see if... The infrastructure was here and the dedication to really promote it in the U.S. because that's that was what was exciting me about it, especially having tasted it. And everyone I met was fantastic. It was a much smaller operation than it is now. But there was already with that core group of people a lot of passion. I knew the quality was there. Obviously, the commitment was there. I met with some of the, the Kieran personnel who were um, kind of still new into the industry, and they are all excited. There's a lot of energy there. So, um, And what year was this, by the way? This was 2005. Okay. And um, well, I was convinced, but not 100% convinced because I was leaving a lot behind. You know, I had a, a life down there. Like I said, just got married, just bought a house. My wife had a job. Because everybody loves Tootsies down yeah. in Nashville, right? I mean, That's like, right. Yes. It's, yeah. a, it's a good party scene. Yeah. That Roberts, Tootsies, all of that. You know, it's hard to say goodbye to that. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's a great city. I love it. I think the only thing I tell people this all the time, the only thing that could have gotten me away from Nashville was bourbon. <laughs> and, and even then, you know, Louisville wasn't what Louisville is now. Right. I agree. Um, so Lexington, Lexington has changed from what I remembered. Now I could get back up to Kentucky now. It's, it's evolved so much and so much has changed. So vibrant. But, you know, 10 years ago, Nashville was probably the best place to be in this region. So, well, actually, I got offered the job shortly after the interview. I think I, we hadn't even gotten back to Nashville before I'd gotten the offer. But because there were all the other things going on, you know, the house, my wife not having a job, there was, I had a lot of experience with the other job. So there was, it was a little bit of a pay cut. So it took a lot of soul searching and discussion and it can't, I just kept push, pushing it off the answer. I would talk to the recruiter and. What was the original job that you were applying for? Oh, it was assistant manager of quality control. Okay. And that's where it gets back to my experience. What they were doing at the time, the quality control department consisted of two people, the the gentleman who hired me, who is now, he's on the cover of Whiskey Magazine this month or last month, Joda Tanaka. He's the chief blender for Fuji Gotemba in Japan. And that's a, a Kieran company. But he was here. He's one of the original Kieran people that came over to really get the brand established. So he was the blender, the director of quality control. Uh, he did all new product development. He was part of that core group that were... Each person wore a lot of different hats. So um, he was one that hired me. He was, and he was essentially setting up a laboratory. That's what I got hired for. We had to have 
there's certain analysis that we have to perform and submit to government, to foreign countries for export, that sort of thing. So, and a lot of that's done on the same equipment that I'd use at the tobacco company in my environmental chemistry work. So, uh, like I said, those weren't too exciting, but they, they got me the tools that got my foot in the door here. But being a small company, I, I pretty much immediately I was asked to wear a lot of different hats too. And there was a lot of opportunity all over just wanting to be for someone to stand and take responsibility for to offer to help with. So I started getting into more distillery functions, bottling functions, uh, blending functions, um, PR. I was going, I was pretty much from the start when we didn't have a marketing department, my wife and I, and this is before we had kids, we'd go out on you know, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, Saturday nights, and just locally go do tastings, go stand behind a table and talk people into drinking four roses. I'm sure she'd love that. She did, actually, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. good. That's good. We had a lot of good time. We still do it, and she still does it with me some. Well, if we still do it, I do it all the time now. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that, that I'm sure, I'm sure the the amount of the the uh, the percentage of that has changed quite dramatically. Yeah. But here yeah. recently, I've been out quite a bit more than I used to be. <laughs> so, so I guess one thing that we we kind of want to know is kind of kind of talk what it was because you know you were here for so you started in 2005, so you've been uh -huh. here for uh, well 2017. We're approaching on 12 years now. So, uh -huh. kind of talk about what it was. Um, you know, your time here, working under the tutelage of Jim Rutledge and, uh -huh. and kind of priming you for, for what you are now today. Well, again, like I said, we're, and we still are a small company, but back then we were very small. So if you were willing and you offered to help anywhere, it was accepted. So I was involved with, um, you know, say quality control, but that here, that means a lot of things. It's everything from mingling to sampling the liquid to working with uh, suppliers on specifications to some of the more mundane aspects of quality. And um, I think from the start, I kind of got involved in all of that, just filling the gaps, helping out. And it was like that. It was just a handful of people, all of us just pitching in, trying to make everything work from a quality standpoint, a sales standpoint, a production standpoint. And then it started being an expansion standpoint. So then everything was moving in two directions. We're we're trying to grow internally. We're trying to grow externally. And um, through all of that, a lot of my, um, well, the, the original Joe Tanaka that hired me, he was, he trained me a lot on the blending side of things. He was always, and that was, I guess, where his passion was, was in the blending, the, um, the quality of the liquid itself. So that was kind of, and that was where I really first got interested outside the analytical side of things. So Pretty much immediately, I started working with with him on on formulations, blending, making uh, different products, and um, that's where I guess I started working with Jim the most too, because Jim, of course, was involved in all that. He had ultimate approval on everything, whether it was a yellow label product, small batch, or uh, in particular the limited editions, which we started to do just about that time. I think it was two thousand seven. Trying to get my years mixed up. It was two thousand seven. We did Jim's fortieth, and that was. Um, the first limited edition single barrel we did. And then we did 08, we started the Mariage, which would eventually evolve into the limited edition small batch. So I started working with them on those formulations right in that, that area, 2007, 2008. And then in 2009, we're still evolving. We're, we're growing. I'm working in the quality side of things. But as far as the blending and that that aspect of it, the uh, Joe Tanaka went back to, to Japan and 
So then I'll kind of fell into my lap to be the, the quote unquote blender or to take that re- responsibility of well, all of quality, but in particular that side of it. And when I say quality, it, it encompasses everything from incoming grains to the glass that or the finished goods, both the exciting and the the mundane. But um, so I started started the taking full responsibility for the blending of the products at that well. I should say, shouldn't say full responsibility because all this time, nothing went off the door without Jim's full approval. So we worked together very closely on especially every limited release and all the, the regular products. And of course, work with them on just about anything else. You know, we were, the private barrel program was starting to, to gain traction then. So we were always in the lab, you know, selecting batches, selecting barrels for the gift shop, doing tasting notes, um, traveling, doing promotions. The list goes on and on for, you know, all the things that, that, you know, he taught me that he taught others here that, well, I always said probably beyond the technical side of things and things about the distillery, things about mingling, blending. I think probably the most important thing that I learned from Jim, which is kind of the defining characteristic of Jim is his, well, his passion and his willingness or desire to, to talk to people. Um, if you've met him, well, you've met him. I mean, you know how he is. Hence why you're here today. <laughs> yeah. So did you get a sense, exactly. did you get a sense back then of him, maybe not telling you, but, but in wh- how he showed you the, the, the entire scope of the, of the role, did you get a sense of him grooming you? You know, honestly, I would, I never allowed myself really to think about this position too much because I know it would just drive me crazy. And now when I first started, I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool? But you know, so far in the future, and so unrealistic that it was, it wouldn't drive me crazy to think about it. It was just a neat carrot that maybe could be dangling way off on the horizon. But once I got into it and got working, you know, I think the passion, and love for what I was doing already was really fulfilling enough. And that paired with the idea that I never thought Jim would retire. No one did. I don't think even including Jim. I think <laughs> you think you think he'd, he'd he'd just fall fall dead in some weird house out here, and that would be like we got to take care of this now. Yeah, I figured okay. you know he'd probably be here another 20, 25, 30 years. So I'd, if you asked anybody, they'd say yeah. He he talked about it all the time. He would always from the day I started he'd say he'd drop hints. So I guess for a while I thought yeah, you know, wouldn't it be cool if. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, 
then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. I guess that's a good question because let's let's talk about that phone call, right? Because we can all picture it, right? You get that phone call and you get called to the the 33rd floor of the office building and you go meet with the CEO and then they're going to offer you this great promotion. Like kind of kind of talk about what what that part of the experience was for oh, you. Oh yeah, I remember it very clearly. It was uh I was called into uh their the chief operating officer and the CEO. They were in uh COO's office. And um, I thought it was a little strange, but I didn't suspect this. For one, I had no idea Jim was retiring. Um, looking back, it was it's pretty clear because it was probably the only period that he had made no mention of retirement, I guess, because he'd already planned on it. He'd already let the uh, CEO know that he was retiring. But so I I walked into the office, sat down, and the first bombshell they dropped on me was that Jim was retiring. And that was that was almost as big as Part B, which was... And it was funny because they didn't say Jim's retiring and would you like to be the next master seller? They said Jim's retiring and you are the next master seller. Wow. And <laughs> it wasn't offensive anyway, trust me. <laughs> but afterwards I thought that's that's pretty funny that they they knew that there was it wasn't the kind of thing they even had to ask. They said mm-hmm. he's retired and you're the next master seller. But what was kind of strange is a few months prior to that, we had just gotten a new CEO. And she was coming around getting to to meet everyone and kind of get a feel for what everyone's career goals were. And so she sat down with me and I was very frank about about uh, my expectations, where I wanted to be. And when she asked about Master Stiller, and I thought it was just a conversation at that time, but I guess there were things in motion behind the scenes, but I had no idea. And I looked and I said, frankly, I said, I couldn't be the Master Stiller. I couldn't do it the way Jim does. I said, I have two young children and I couldn't travel like that. Now, if I had known it was a real possibility, I might have lied. <laughs> but I thought, well, I, I, hurt. I, I hate my kids. I'll go to I'll go to Japan any day. <laughs> so I thought, why not? I can just be honest. I said, you know, I, I couldn't do it. I said, you know, I've got the two kids. And again, at that time, I figured Jim would be here another 20 years. Um, so the uh, when when she told me this, she said, and I understand you have reservations because of your family and that. She said, so... I want you to understand you can do this however you want. You know, this is this is your role. You make it yours. You there aren't expectations of you to do X amount of things in a year or this or that. She said certainly there are certain events that are necessary. You know, of course, like let's talk bourbon and the uh, uh you know, there are a handful of events that obviously I probably need to to attend. But um so that's all I needed to hear. Absolutely. This is actually a question from Steve Clem. He said, are you and Jim Facebook friends? <laughs> I'm not even on Facebook. Really? Yeah. I wasn't before and I'm not now. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to hold strong, right? Congratulations. Well, thank you. Well, my wife is, so I guess I'm not that tough. Yeah. Now that uh, here in the last year or so, I've started to you know, lurk on hers just to, I can see the benefit of it. I like to see what my friends are up to and it's nice to see pictures and everything, but I don't have time to personally be posting stuff and 
Oh, it's maybe, okay. maybe someday. It's all good. It's all good. It's <laughs> all Just stay away from Facebook during election years. It's all yeah, you need. yeah, yeah. All you yeah, need it gets do. gets messy because <laughs> nobody needs more opinions, right? That's right. So I guess there's there's always been a a, a good good a ruse amount of questions, right? Because you know you're in this role now, and you kind of get to dictate of of what's going to happen, like what's going to be the future of the brand, and and what's it going to hold. And so we've always wondered, like. Why is there not a rye whiskey offered by Four Roses, considering the the uh, the explosion of ryes nowadays? Like, what what's your thoughts on that? Um, I wish we had done it six, seven years ago. Yeah. So and there it actually came up. Jim brought it up. We had a lot of discussion back then, but I can't. It never really got any traction. We didn't really pursue it that hard. I mean, I guess because when you think about it, it was um, it was never really pushed hard by a lot of people, right? And people that were doing it, they're they're struggling right now to even put it out at, at the rate that they are just because they can't they can't have the age that uh-huh. they wanted to right and so so if you're to start now like who's going to say in four or five years six years seven years who's going to who's going to give a yeah. shit right well that's the name of the game anyway I mean even with volumes that we're producing now you know is this too much not enough and it's a problem everyone has but right now the, it we don't have the option anyway everything that we produce we're we're producing at full capacity. And we're barely making enough for the market. Well, we're not. The demand is more than what our supply is right now. Um, and that's why we're expanding. Now, once the expansion is complete, which will be in 2018, then we can look at something like that. And when I say something like that, I mean something exactly like that. I'd really like to do a rye whiskey. I think, well, if you look at any of our products, you know, we're high on the rye and both of our mash bills. We just, I, I love bourbon. We love bourbon here, but we so, like we like the flavor that rye imparts and i've always been curious about what kind of rye whiskey we would make here so so rye is one thing now a lot of people are experimenting with um barrel finishes uh-huh. and cinnamon whiskeys what's yeah. what's your take on on that and having four roses venture into that because it i mean as bad as it sounds coming from a, a purist of bourbon that says like like lay your hands off it don't even get into that but then you got this whole marketing and the the side of it, the business that says like, uh, guys, uh, as as we were talking with Lyndon here earlier, is like, there's a piece of the pie here. Uh huh. Why why should we not take this piece of the pie that says, uh, well, cinnamon whiskey is taking a huge chunk of it. Like, why are we not playing in that market? Well, personally, yeah, I have no interest. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone in this company has any interest in flavored whiskeys. You know that. I guess I'm a purist. You know, I think our our talent lies in just making bourbon. Um, as far as barrel aged or different finishes, um, it's interesting. I don't think um, we don't have any plans to do that. There's really been no discussion. But I've had some very interesting barrel finished bourbons and scotches too, obviously. But um, the um, I think what's fortunate about our situation is we don't really have to do much innovation to give consumers something new and unique because we have the 10 recipes. Like with our private barrel program, I think people get enough of a glimpse of who we are without having to change or innovate. Now, I have nothing against innovation. I think that's great, especially with like the barrel finish. It's not really so much throwing flavors in the bourbon, but um, we, because we don't have the time or the resources right now of liquid, it's a good thing that we don't have to really innovate to give the consumer something really unique and interesting. Because I agree. Because at that point, you're 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 looking at more or less mass market, not the people that are, um, I guess you say, 
fanboys and fangirls of the of the bourbon itself, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, that that kind of leads into a good question that came from Travis Roberts on Facebook, and he said, um, "Is Four Roses going to continue their barrel program?" And they're going to be able to eventually offer barrels aged 10 plus years again to consumers because yes. I know that it's at this point, you know, you're, you're continually, you know, it, believe me, I think that's one of the, the staples of what Four Roses is, is being able to offer those to the, uh, to the liquor stores, the consumers and being able to uh-huh. have these barrel programs. But I mean, at, at the rate that it's going, it's, it's going to dwindle down to the point where it, the, the age range is going to, is going to, is going to uh, drop. Oh, absolutely. And you can see it now. If you looked at the program, say, three, four years ago, we had probably an even distribution of barrels from eight up to 11 years old. If you look back just historically, when this liquid that's going into these bottles, when that was distilled, that was distilled for other products. We had the program was, well, I guess it was maybe just beginning, but we weren't really planning for it to be the way it is now. You know, we were producing bourbon for the OLA, the small batch from the international products. And so now when we're looking for barrels to go into the program, we're essentially having to steal away from small batch. You're you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we're trying to take some of the better expressions, the higher quality of the different codes, so that when you pick up a bottle of OBSF or OESK or whatever it might be from the store shelf, you're getting that spice or that herbal character or whatever it is that we're telling you you're going to, to taste. So um, we're limited on what we can pull out of the regular inventory to use because we want to take all the good stuff. And really, if you look at the, the size of our inventory and how much we dump for the other products, when we take 50 barrels a month out for this program, it's pretty minuscule. Mm-hmm. But um, still, it makes an impact. And when you have these barrels out there and you're offering 50 a month to consumers, which is what we're doing now, it used to be a lot more. When we first opened the program, it was a free-for-all. We'd send samples all over the country to anyone that asked, anyone that had a, a, had, a had license. Interest, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys want to send us money? Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yes. here are 10 unique samples, 10 unique barrels. Select, but it just took off too quickly. So we had we got backed up um, in bottling. We started to um, – the inventory took a hit. And I think that a lot of that's what happened because we were offering so many barrels to so many people – and there's still that perception that older's better in some cases because these barrels, they're all very good. Whether it's eight years or 11 years, we're not going to put anything out that's too oaky. So in some cases, 11 years might be a little bit too old. Anything that's in the program that's 11 years, it's going to be good. Well, I, I think that it kind of holds true to the, the saying that I've never had a bad Four Roses. No, I don't think anybody can ever say never. that. No, nobody's going to ever say that I've ever had a bad Four Roses. Well... Thanks for saying that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, certainly hope not. I mean, if, literally, like today or yesterday, Fred Minnick, he wrote an article. He said the best value for bourbon is Four Roses. I mean, yellow label, single barrel, small batch. Best value. I saw that. Yeah, Fred, and if you're I mean, listening, thank you. It's very nice. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's what, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, you, the funny thing is, is that, you know, you know, we, we can talk about, we can pick away at single barrels all, all day and the, the, the minuscule differences of what they are. But I think that's that's what makes it so unique, right? Is that like I can go and I can get a, a single barrel when I travel down to Atlanta that makes it different than a single barrel I can get from um, 
Wabash, Wisconsin or whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. And and so, and that's and that's what makes me want to collect them all or try to get what I can, right? And I think that's what, what really makes it unique compared to um, just searching after the, the the unicorns of the world. But the fact is, is that you've got so many, so many good flavors and so many um, awesome barrels that are just sitting there that are just store picks that are just sitting there uh-huh. all across the nation. You know, I, I think it's 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 so interesting right now in, in, in the time that we're in because you have everybody's searching for the unicorns. But I think the future is the store picks and the private barrel picks because those offers extremely good uh, whiskeys. But yet you're not you're not necessarily searching high and low and and paying crazy amounts of money on the secondary market for a product. That, but yet it's they're so incredibly good. I mean that's that's what I'm looking for looking forward to in the next year two years is those is those private barrel picks because you know I'm not gonna have to you know camp out in line for 24 or 36 <laughs> hours I can go to the store and get one right now it's gonna be a darn fine whiskey to 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 serve or to give us a gift or whatever it may be and but I, I guess it wouldn't do us justice just to sit here and just talk about store picks so I guess we need to talk. Just a tiny bit about limited edition. So, uh-huh. I, you know, Brent, I guess one of the questions I pose to you is um, it's kind of two faced, right? So we got we got one question that came from Kevin Raglan. He says, like, how was the process for selecting the 2016 LE single barrel since it was your first time doing it without Jim? And then kind of preface that with like, why did you call Elliot Select and just not 2016 LE? Uh, two good questions. Well, first, we weren't even going to do a single barrel in the spring. But after Jim left, we were actually planning on doing a Jim's release this year to be his 50th. And so we already compiled all the samples and we're going to do a small batch to be released in the spring. He left. So obviously, and he had no interest at that point. And I should have known looking back, like we were trying to get corporate approvals, get him to sign off on different things. And he was really dragging his feet because he really didn't want us to waste our time. He couldn't tell us yet that he was leaving, but from the product development standpoint, I'm on, on that team. We were trying to work with him to try to get him, you know, some buy-in on what kind of bottle he wanted, this sort of thing. So um, we had all the samples sitting there. Then he left about a month after that marketing came to me and basically said, we want to do something to get your face out there, to introduce you as the new guy, not to commemorate me in any way, because what was there to commemorate? You know, I'd just begun this new role. <laughs> so it was just sort of an introduction. And... Um, they started brainstorming with our, just the whole marketing department with different concepts, different, I basically told them from the inventory standpoint, single barrel would be very good for us. And it kind of kept with what we'd done in the past, a single barrel in the spring, small batch in the fall. So um, I went looking for a batch and that was much different. It was a lot easier, I guess, you know, when Jim was here, because it wasn't my name on it. You know, I could say, okay, here's a test blend. I really like this. What do you think, Jim? You know, most cases, hopefully we'd be on the same page and everybody'd be happy. You know, that was always, it was his responsibility, his name. If it was good, if it was bad. So, and now, and now it's, your face is etched in gold on the side of the label. Yeah, right? I'm sitting there, my big head smiling at you on the side of the <laughs> bottle. And it's, you know, it felt like all eyes were on me. You know, it was my first solo attempt. It was, had my name on it. So, yeah, I was a little nervous about that one, more so than any, or I'll say all in the past combined. So, yeah, there was definitely pressure with that one. But uh, fortunately, there was uh, the batch that was chosen that I chose was absolutely loved it. You know, it wasn't like, you know, maybe it wouldn't be everyone's favorite, but I couldn't, I 
couldn't imagine anyone being opposed to that that batch. You know, it's OESK. It's really kind of uh, a staple, if you will. Yeah, it's just it's elegant. Yeah, it's middle of the road, just nice and balanced and full. So yeah, a staple. I was excited that that batch was there. Otherwise, I've had to go back to the drawing board and do a, a limited edition small batch. But there was another batch that was pretty good too. That kind of was in contention, but uh, or was a contender. But I ended up with that OESK that I was totally happy with. So the the idea of calling it an Elliot Select was more or less a, a marketing thing to put your face out there, rather than like, well, next year we're just going to call it Elliot's Duet. Like, I mean, like, I, I mean, what's, what's yeah? The that was a, that was a one and done. Okay, yeah, we're going to go back to just the standard limited editions. Yeah, there's not going to be a, an Elliot Select Part Two or <laughs> Elliot Returns or anything. Yeah, that was just the, the, Elliot, <laughs> the Elliot Returns. I like that. Rogue, Rogue yeah. One. Yeah. Rogue Two. Yeah. Well, if you look back at any of our limited editions from when we started, um, anytime there's something to celebrate, we do that. Like if it's you know the 125th, we call it 125th. We don't call it the 2013 Small Batch. In 2007, with Jim's 40th, we didn't do. 2007 single barrel when there are years where there's nothing to celebrate we'll just call it the year mm-hmm. but if there's something we can put on there we will you know just a, a commemorative bottle or to commemorate something or as in my case just to uh i thought this is a good opportunity to get your face out there because you know jim he's an icon he's in the industry everyone knows who he is we lose him i think the, probably their thinking was we've got a Sure. Well, yeah. We're still here. We're still making whiskey. We've got this guy. We believe in him. Yeah. Let's, and and let's, here he is looking at you from the side of the bottle. <laughs> Can you trust that face? And let's talk a little more about Brent just to quick, because I know we're running to the top of this, but let's, let's talk a little more about Brent just outside of bourbon. Like what, what does Brent do as of a, as a hobby? Like, because, you know, we, we all have, um, you know, we could be wood wheelers. We could be uh, coaching our kids softball leagues, you know, whatever it is. Like what, what, is, what does Brent do outside of, out of bourbon? Right now, I spend a lot of my time with my kids. So I guess any identity I used to have, but they're starting to get older, so it's starting to come back around. Like things that I, I like to do, like um, you know, fishing, sometimes you know, playing guitar, that sort of thing. I'm starting to be able to do that with the kids now. So these things that I kind of gave up eight, nine years ago are starting to come back into my life as I try to embrace them for myself and, and get my kids involved. I try to... Try to do some uh, running, cycling, that sort of stuff, just to and again mental relaxation, kids. whatever. Yeah, relaxation, yeah, just good way to stay healthy. Try to stay young, <laughs> <laughs> get off my butt once in a while. But but not not the bourbon chase then. Right? Yeah, I do that. Yeah, you do the bourbon chase. Yeah, you run you run that many miles. Yeah, I've done it. Uh, I think we've we have a Four Roses team. Oh, my man. wife and I started. She's the captain every year. Oh, we, wow. I think this is our fifth year that we just finished up. And so Lyndon was talking about how he did it one time. It's, it's uh, a lot of fun, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's great. I enjoy it every year. Well, it's a lot of fun when you get done. When I'm not racing, you know, Ironmans, I'll, I'll do the bourbon chase. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I'd just rather sit in front of the TV. That's 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 my stick. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, y'all try it. <laughs> we might put together two teams this year. So Tell you what. If, I can if you're drive, interested, let me know. If I can drive it, I'll do it. <laughs> They do need drivers in those vans, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. We'll make it's you an run. important oh, job. Run. 
But Grant, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks, guys. This was a fantastic way to be able to uh, get you on, get you in front of our listeners, and be able to just learn more about you. So, again, thank you for coming well, thanks. on. Thanks. Good seeing you guys again. So, if you like what you hear, make sure you support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Burn Pursuit. Make sure you follow us on all those social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter at Bourbon Pursuit. And if you have any more suggestions, make sure you send us an email, T-H-E-D-U-O, the duo at bourbonpursuit.com, and we will make sure to get those guests on. Thank you again for everybody that joined us today, and we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.